0: You do have a good voice. Have you thought about doing a podcast?
1: I have. Then I like record myself talking and I just hear a lot of like mouth noises and it makes me uncomfortable when so <laughs> I stop.
0: <laughs> and yet you still signed up to do an interview with me. Yeah.
1: My name is Alex Cannon.
0: And where do you live, Alex Cannon?
1: I am currently residing in Boston, Massachusetts. I am the machine learning engineer. I got my degree in engineering physics. It was like physics and electrical engineering. And then my grad program was a master's in signal processing, which is sort of like machine learning stuff, a little bit of DSP stuff.
0: So what you're saying is you're really smart.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just enjoy reading Wikipedia from time to time. And I've read enough that I got a degree in stuff I read on Wikipedia. I bike a lot. I'm big into music. Uh, I got like a guitar.
0: So you know what I'm gonna ask now. Yeah. You know I'm gonna ask if you can play me something.
1: Play you something?
0: That's the next question, of course.
1: Um, okay. I'll play. I'll play you one chord. It'll be a really, really nice chord, though. <laughs> Here, let me grab my guitar one sec.
0: That's okay. I've got time.
1: All right, ready? Here's my chord. That's it.
0: Do you ever play songs? Welcome to Digital Nomad, the story of how Zencaster was built. And because you're here for this episode, you now know a bit more about our musical talents as well. So thanks for tuning in. Get it? Tuning in? The jokes don't get any better, people, I promise. Just wait till I introduce you to the Zencaster band. <laughs> so we're gonna stick with the music theme because as it turns out, music is what motivated Josh Nielsen, the founder of Zencaster, to launch his first company. But first, let's get caught up on our storyline. In our last episode, Josh made a bold move by calling into a podcast hosted by his future boss which ultimately landed him his first job out of college at Mahalo. That's where he met Adrian Lopez, Zencastr's chief product officer. Josh then moved from Santa Monica, California to Boulder, Colorado to work with tech stars. And now he's been bitten by the startup bug.
2: There's a quote by Steve Jobs where I think he's talking about how he was took LSD in India and it gave him like a a new perspective on life and he was saying I'm gonna butcher this but he said something to the effect of everything in this world that you see around you was invented and created by someone no smarter than you or me you know they just basically had the will to do it and I found that to be a really empowering idea like you know Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and Apple really did change the world just by making great products In some small way, I'd like to be a part of something like that myself.
0: Big goals, right? But how do you make it happen? We've all heard the stories of tech billionaires who started by working out of their parents' garage. Well, that's drive. Passion. And if you can find other people who are just as crazy as you, well, you may just make some magic.
3: (laughs) If I put my foot in my mouth, you'll cut that out.
0: (laughs) No, that's the best stuff, actually. Uh, Meet Travis Sisti and Mike Toymel. How, like, where were you guys at when you first met? Was it through, was it at Mahalo that you guys all met?
3: Yeah. Yeah, so Josh, I believe Josh was one of the first people that I spoke to at Mahalo when I was interviewing. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Mike joined Mahalo within a week or two of me. So we all kind of landed right around the same
4: time. Yeah, first job out of college or first real job or whatever. And I was just excited to, like, get in there and work on computers because I was, you know, just doing like little side jobs before that and got to actually be in this like wild new world because I hadn't spent much time in cities either. So it was just like all this new stuff and exciting tech environment. I just felt like I was just primed to bond with whoever, you know, (laughs) was working with. Turns out I was working with cool folks as well.
0: Josh, Travis and Mike become friends. They code by day usually working long days, 10 plus hours, and play video games on nights and weekends. Life was good. Speaking of games, were all of you guys involved in the the Node Knockout competition, or how did that come about?
2: Yeah, it was actually, this was like, I think the second year, or the first or second year of the Node Knockout, and we wanted to, you know, put a team together, and it was, you know, we needed a designer. Um, a front-end guy, which was me, and then a couple of guys to help. It, It was all over the place, but we just needed some engineering horsepower and then a designer to do the artwork and stuff. And so that actually became a pretty transformative event for me, I think. And it's funny to think about now. At the time, I was just like, hey, this would be fun.
0: So if you're like me, you probably haven't heard of the Node Knockout competition before. But it's actually pretty cool. Their website calls it an online hackathon. Teams of up to four people compete over a 48-hour period to build the best app they can using Node. JS, an open source cross-platform back-end JavaScript. The competition is online, so you can compete with people all over the world. And in the second year of that competition, Josh formed a team with Travis, Mike, and a fourth guy, Bundy, all from Mahalo. At the end of that competition, they had created 8-Bit Beats. Am I saying that
2: right? 8-Bit Beats, I'm going to try and get it back up so, so when we launch this so that people can actually see what we're talking about. I got it up, man. <laughs>
4: oh you yeah? Did?
5: You got it up?
4: It's on my personal website. It's just an instance of it.
0: Okay. So someone tell me what it is.
2: It was kind of Trav's idea. Why don't you, why don't you go in with this
3: one? Yeah. I, you know, I don't even know if I would have known what to call it at the time. It was a music sequencer. There little little boxes on a screen that represent music notation and you click in a box to assign a beat to it. Then we had, I forget what it was, maybe eight bars of music that would repeat. And multiple people could connect and create music on the fly together. And our little hook was that we did it in sort of a retro 8-bit music style because we we all grew up with, you know, uh, the original Nintendo, Sega Genesis, Atari, that generation. So the music was done in that style. And it seemed to grab people. It was... um, It was kind of a surprising little success for us.
2: With these hackathons, you don't even get to try it until the very, like, you know, minutes before the deadline, we was actually working and we could see it all come together. And I remember playing with it and I was just like, wow, this is actually like a fun way to interact with people. And I thought I was totally a skeptic in that we were pe- that people were gonna be able to come in here and actually make loops together that sounded anything like real music. Yeah, it would start off weird and funky, but then like people would learn how to make, you know figure it out. And then suddenly there's like this evolving song playing crowd uh, crowdsourced song thing happening. Yeah, I remember we
4: tried to always have someone uh, available to hop in there. So someone would have someone to jam with because it's much more fun.
2: <laughs> Yeah, you always end up in a background tab, and you just say this me <laughs> You're Like, oh, okay, gotta go, gotta go play with somebody.
0: It was a lot of work, but it paid off. Literally, they came in first place and got four MacBook Airs. The team also returned the following year, and get this, they won again. This time with a video game called Disasteroids. Oh, and I know some of you are chomping at the bit to check out these games. So if that's you, be sure to click the links in the episode description.
4: Yeah, it really I don't know. Convinced me that we had a, a really good team that could that could build stuff when it counted. It wasn't just a fluke, right? It wasn't just a fluke.
0: It may not be a fluke, but could it actually be something more? I mean, who breaks up the band after two hit records? Coming up after the break. The beat goes on. 8-Bit Beats evolves into a new product, and Josh, Travis, and Mike become business partners.
2: Hey guys, this is Josh Nielsen, the founder and CEO of Zencaster. Thanks for checking out our podcast, Digital Nomad, to learn more about the story of how Zencaster came to be. If you're a podcaster or planning to start a podcast, I'd love for you to go to ZenCaster.com and learn how we can help you record your podcast. ZenCaster now supports remote HD video recording as well as studio quality audio to make sure you look and sound great. We also help you mix your videos together so you can quickly and easily post your episodes online. We give you a 14 day trial on our pro account and our hobbyist account is completely free. And now back to Digital Nomad.
0: we're back with josh travis and mike their team won the node knockout competition two years in a row they had momentum but now what
3: yeah so we'd all done a music app together in the past we all are musicians in our free time um we'd had some wins you know you know a couple years in a row i'm pretty sure it was josh's idea to try something in music and i don't know how well formed the idea was but we were thinking that we wanted to do for music what github had done for code which so so people could contribute audio or, or stem files and share them remix them
2: i think electronic music a lot of it is derivative art there's a big problem of people not having access to unlicensed or license-free, royalty-free content. At that time, the browsers were launching all these new features where you can like create synthesizers in a browser or record audio or get live audio from the microphone. And so a lot of these things kind of popped up at once.
0: Huh, the ability to use your browser to record audio. That sounds like another company I've heard of. Z? no, Zen, uh, I don't know. It'll come to me later. Right now, Josh, Travis, and Mike are focused on helping musicians. They set up an LLC, got a bank account, and called their new company Soundkeep. So how serious were you guys about Soundkeep?
2: As I recall, Trav and I were like, after Techstars is over, Diablo 3 is coming out. We're going to play that for a week. And then we're going to start on like the next thing that we're going to do. And I think we didn't have like a lot of time or savings or like any of that. And so it was just like, Hey, what can we prototype? Let's just like take some, a few months and prototype something and see if we can get anywhere with it. Uh, You know, I think that was a hard way to do it because we didn't really have a, you know, a quick path to revenue with it. And you can only do that for so long.
0: When did you guys realize that maybe Soundkeep wasn't going to be the next amazing app or tool for people to use? Like, I mean, was the writing kind of on the wall or tell me a little bit about that process.
2: For me, it was kind of, well, I think I had some denial in there, but you just start to realize that, hey, nobody actually asked for this. (laughs) And (laughs) now people that we are showing it to are kind of ho-hum. And you know, maybe they sign up. After a while, you start to realize, okay, this is not like, this is not sticking.
4: <laughs> yeah, when we weren't getting endorsed by you know any musicians or you know recognizable musicians, and we kept like getting pushed off or striking out with uh, potential investors.
2: The sense I got from talking to investors was, from their perspective, we were making a lot of rookie mistakes, like. <sighs> Trying to get money from creative types. Trying to do a business in music at all. (laughs) One of the big things we had to figure out how to do was synchronize multiple tracks of audio being played back in the browser together and it was questionable whether or not that was even possible when we started and you know as part of this problem it's hard to get stem tracks you have to like pay for them and so we only had one set of stem tracks and it was what was the song it was a (laughs) popper
5: yeah
2: by uh, lady gaga I'm not sure how that choice got made, but we ended up with paparazzi Lady Gaga. And so I just had that in playback, repeat, repeat, repeat over in my head as we're testing this thing out. Like the weird
4: harmony lines too, just that you don't hear when you listen to the song. Those things just get emblazoned.
2: (laughs) Which how long? I mean, we didn't waste a ton of time on it, you know, thankfully in the end. So
4: year we had, we
3: figured that it wasn't really panning out. Did we make it a whole year? (laughs)
0: beats may have won a competition, but Soundkeep kind of fell flat. I'm sure the guys would agree that it's the experience you get when you try new things that's really invaluable, plus the friendships. Josh, Travis, and Mike remain good friends to this day, and it wouldn't be surprised if they end up playing a bigger part of the ZenCaster story sometime in the future. Speaking of which, remember Josh's friend Al Doan from the last episode? He's the one that told Josh to call into the This Week in Startups podcast. Well, Zencaster may have never happened if it weren't for this conversation.
6: He came to me early on because I, I had run a podcast for like 10 years, right? Uh, so I, I was a podcaster. I played in this space a bunch. And he, he had built like a, it was like a soundboard, like a mixer board with a synth and stuff.
0: What was robot audio?
2: Robot audio was like... My vision after Soundkeep of like building a da a digital audio workstation in the browser.
6: He's just like, I've, there's something here. This is hard to do. There's not a lot of stuff out here like it. And like, I've figured a bunch of stuff out how, uh, how I can build this.
2: Yeah, he said, I don't know about this solution for electronic musicians, but I know podcasters have this problem uh, sharing files. And I know like 15 podcasts that would, would use a service like this right now. I was just like, yeah, that's neat. I don't know anything about podcasting.
0: <laughs> I mean, and we're talking about 2013-ish, at least according to our timeline here. So, I mean, that was still very, very early in the, in the podcasting space. So when he said podcasting, like what came to your mind <laughs> Like when he said that?
2: Well, I, I was aware of it. I liked the niche content that comes out of it, right? You know, so I I was around it. I knew it existed, but I never thought of it as like my future at the time. Really, it was kind of funny how it came back around.
6: He's a hacker. He just sits and like kind of pokes his stuff and sees if he can figure things out. And I I thought that was really cool that he was working on that. I got it right away. I mean, the idea of being able to record online and get high quality great recordings. I mean, I've tried every plugin into Skype to get not sucky, cellphony sounding interview calls. And for him to, to sort of whip this up and have it have it going was really cool. He's very passionate about like the indie creators, the guys that aren't corporate backed.
0: The concept behind this app was becoming more clear. There was even a small but growing audience for it. But the timing just wasn't right. And at this time, Josh decided to put it on hold. He started freelancing. He even worked for Al's company for a little bit. And there was also Lucy. What was your relationship with Lucy like during this?
2: Uh, I mean, that was not going well, I don't think. I think she was justifiably upset that I wasn't pushing things along with getting married.
5: Yeah, it's weird. It was... It's hard, but it's also, I mean, I realize now in retrospect that I think I was also a comitophobe in that situation. I was very comfortable with having my own life and my own situation and having someone that I could visit and spend time with, but that really didn't impact my day-to-day life.
2: You know, I don't know. I'd moved around every three years for, you know, 15 years leading up to that point. So uh, I decided to go kind of like finally figure out what was going to go on with Lucy and I, or not? You know,
5: I had moved to Melbourne in Australia to study graphic design. When I went there, I was like, "I'm done with this. I've got my own life now. I'm moving on." We never really broke up. We were never really out of contact for more than like a month. Um, and so we had kind we'd been getting back in contact, and I'd been talking to him more and more, and then. He was like, "Okay, I'm I'm going to move to Melbourne, and we're going to figure this out once or once and for all if if we're actually going to do this or not."
2: And so, uh, yeah, I moved to Melbourne.
5: Did Lucy
0: invite you to come out, or was it more of a "listen, I just, I I got to get things right" kind of thing?
2: The latter. In fact, I think she was kind of like, "Don't come out," <laughs> and I was like, "You don't own Australia." <laughs> <laughs>
0: You don't own Australia.
5: (laughs) Next time on Digital Nomad. I was like fully panicked in the moment. I freaked out. I I think I'm pregnant.
2: Having kids is when you really kind of get married, anyway. I guess every wedding's hard, probably.
5: (laughs) And he looked at me, and he said. Don't worry, everything's gonna be okay. But I think he was crying. He just looked terrified.